Hey everybody, how's it going? Today, I want to talk about uh, the death of ESG investing. Um, I believe that, uh, well, ESG, if you recall, is environmental, social, and governance. So basically, you're investing in companies, or the idea is that you're investing in companies that support sustainability for the environment, justice and equality and equity on the social side, and ethical business practices and whatnot on the governance side. And if you want a full rundown on ESG and why it's really kind of impossible to quantify and therefore it's really sort of the, kind of a dumb, subjective way to look at investing, um, check out episode 30. I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, just as a mental exercise, uh, if you wanted to invest in companies that, well, let's say they were good for the environment, uh, like a company that were to, say, plant a lot of trees or makes windmills or maybe electric cars – you know, like Tesla, well, you'd think that these types of companies would be at the top of everyone's ESG compliant lists. But if you haven't heard the S&P 500 ESG index, yes, an index that is designed, quote, designed to measure the performance of securities meeting sustainability criteria has dropped Tesla from its list. Now that well, if you're a sophisticated investor, you're probably not going to consult their index before buying a stock. But institutions that put together mutual funds and ETFs, like, say, Invesco, State Street, UBS, well, they are gonna. So as a company, if you're inside that S&P ESG index, you're basically a safe buy for not only ESG funds, but other nervous investors like PERS Systems or University Endowments. Uh, and speaking of University Endowments... Harvard's Harvard University's endowment, which sat at over $50 billion last year, has sustainable investing front and center in their stated strategy. So now if groups like that are taking their cues from the S&P ESG index, Tesla, the company that one could argue has done more to reduce emissions than any other company on planet Earth, well, Tesla no longer meets their sustainability guidelines fucking crazy, right? Uh, now, this goes back to what I said in episode 30. If you feel that you need to be a conscientious investor based on your values, based on things that you feel are important, you cannot just buy ESG funds, then put up your feet and light your cigar and have a guilt-free portfolio. You got to pick and choose because clearly the people who are making the decisions about what is and what isn't ESG are dumb shits. Or are they? Okay, now full disclosure, um, I my understanding is the reason they were pulled from the list is because of some social or governance issues, I guess, uh, in that there are some labor charges, in fact, some, some serious charges of some racism in their California factory. Now, those are serious charges and they should be addressed, but it makes you think about what the weighting is, okay? This is a company that, again, has done more to curb global emissions than arguably any other company, but this incident or a collection of incidents at a specific factory are enough to knock them off the ESG list. So uh, anyway, just just thought I should make that note. So I, I don't know or care about how often the S&P rebalances its index, but it got my attention this time around. 
uh, just because of the ludicrous removal of Tesla. Um, so just for the hell of it, I looked at their announcement, uh, which by now is a couple months old. So apologies if this is old news. So apparently when they rebalance the index, they put out a, a release. But the real comedy when I was reading this uh, this rundown isn't the companies that are pulled from the index. The, the, the real hilarity is the companies that it added to the index. So here uh, are just a few that now live on the list. Marathon Oil, Phillips 66, Valero. <laughs> if, you, if you're a 25-year-old and you were brought up having it hammered into your head that uh, the oceans are going to be boiling by 2025, how would you feel to find out that Marathon Oil, <laughs> Phillips 66, and Valero are ESG-friendly investments? Um, the 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 S&P also added Caesars International, you know, the casino that's been uh, pasting the airwaves with advertisements to encourage you to gamble. Is that socially conscious? Um, another addition was Charles River Labs International. So if you want to talk corporate governance, the G and ESG, our friends at Charles River in 2017 uh, were fined $1.8 million to settle claims that it violated the False Claims Act by improperly charging for labor and other associated costs that were not actually provided on certain NIH contracts and whatnot. So how's that for corporate ethics? Anyway, so once again, if you want to invest based on your values, you have to research each company that you invest in. Simply buying an ESG mutual fund or ETF does not mean that your money is going into companies that are making the world a better place. Okay, end of sermon. Uh, next up, the childless movement. So if you're listening to this, chances are you're probably past childbearing age and you either have kids or you don't. Um, I don't think I have very many young listeners who have yet to decide. Um, and now if you don't have children, there are some considerations that you're going to need to make in retirement planning that are going to be different from your friends that have kids, like say your estate plan and whatnot. And likely you're going to be able to retire sooner because you didn't drop a ton of cash raising kids and then sending them to an overpriced college. Uh, and you may even want to hire a financial advisor who specializes in what they call, quote, child-free people. And for whatever reason, I found an article about this phenomenon on, on Market Watch, and I wanted to just quickly share it with you because, well, just for the hell of it. So here's how it starts. People will say all kinds of things to you if you tell them you don't plan to have children ever. Quote, you'll grow out of it. It's selfish not to have children. You don't like kids? People in the child-free community refer to these comments as bingos. It's called getting bingoed when someone throws a cliche at a child-free person about their plan not to have kids. Child-free people check these statements off on a mental bingo card. Hearing one can feel like a rite of passage for newcomers to child-free living. Okay, I probably should have stopped reading right there because... That just sounds dumb to start with. And I'm guessing that this whole bingoing thing is either an imaginary phenomenon cooked up by sad people who wish they could have had kids, or it's a woman-only deal because I'm 53, I don't have kids and never plan to, and I've never been bingoed once in my life. So anyway, the article goes uh, into some facts about considerations for child-free people that they need to make in retirement. And, uh, you know, uh, there are some quotes from a dude who's a CFP uh, specializing in child-free families. But then a couple head-scratching concepts come up. Here goes. 
Jay Zygmunt, who is married and child-free, specializes in financial planning for what he describes as child-free families, people who don't have kids and don't plan to have them in the future. The preferred term isn't childless, it's child-free, with no hyphen, Zygmunt says, because a hyphen would imply the person was missing something. He says he uses the word family intentionally because having a family doesn't necessarily mean having children. Okay, insert eye roll here. Pretty soon, it's going to be a slur to call someone childless, and the term of choice will be child-free. Oh, and by the way, the author uses the term, the author of the article uses the term childless later. Um, we might want to cancel her. Uh, the article and the eye rolling continues. When Lenora Faye thinks about her retirement, she pictures herself as an active older person embarking on new careers. The 39-year-old is living child-free in Alberta, Canada and now spends most of her time as a child-free lifestyle advocate. She writes a newsletter on child-free living and is currently co-planning a virtual child-free convention scheduled for July that will include sessions on child-free estate planning and living child-free on a budget. Faye, who did her estate planning when she was 34, doesn't see herself slowing down too much as she ages. She's planning with an eye toward being financially independent, and she pictures herself following passions like writing film scores. A former professional violinist, her dream would be to have a Las Vegas residency where she could play music and share stories about child-free living with an audience. She sees a need for, quote, kick-ass child-free people in their 80s and 90s who can tell the world how awesome it is, end quote. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Honey, I got us tickets to Las Vegas next weekend. Oh, great. Are we going to go see Wayne Newton, Cirque du Soleil, da Danny Gans? <laughs> Fuck that. We're going to see Lenora Faye. She's going to play violin and talk about her child-free life. Ugh. Anyway, the article goes on um, in a not-so-interesting way. Oh, and it references this other dude. An active member of the child-free community named Cody Hetzel. He runs a small social network called Child Free Family, where child-free people can connect. I'll stop there, and I'll put a link to this article in the show notes if you want to do your own eye-rolling. But I got to say, if your whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that you don't have kids, and then you need to seek out a community, especially uh, if you're over 40, that also doesn't have kids, and you have to call yourself child-free without a hyphen so as not to imply that you're missing something, well... You're missing something. I feel sorry for you because it, it, just that is beyond lame. Anyway, link in the show notes. Let's move along. Last thing I want to share is yet another retirement preparedness survey that's been released. Okay, this one is by a consulting firm called AgeWave and our friends at Edward Jones. As expected, the news is not good. They gave retirees four categories to choose from to describe their situation. The categories were purposeful pathfinders, and these are dumb names, but bear with me, purposeful pathfinders, challenged yet hopefuls, relaxed traditionalists, and finally, regretful strugglers. You, because you think about retirement in advance by listening to shows like this one, will in all likelihood 
end up being a purposeful pathfinder with enough money to do the things you want to do, live where you want to live and travel where you want to travel. But not surprisingly, the biggest percentage of respondents to this survey put themselves in the, quote, regretful strugglers category. And get this, the average age that those regretful strugglers started saving for retirement was 42. Ouch. Uh, and roughly half of them took early withdrawals from their retirement accounts double ouch. And not surprisingly, only 23% of respondents categorized themselves as purposeful pathfinders. Uh, but of that group, most of them said they're in, quote, great shape financially. And not surprisingly, they started saving at 34 years old on average. And seriously, you can't argue hard enough the power of compounding interest. Those extra eight years make a gigantic difference. But we all know that already. But here's why I'm sharing this with you. They also surveyed some pre-retirees to get a feel for how well prepared they feel for retirement. And that was interesting, too. So they asked over 2,000 pre-retirees how prepared they were for the four, what they call the four pillars of retirement. And these were family, purpose, finances, and health. 45% of the pre-retirees said they were very prepared in the family category. That's good. Just 32% were very prepared in the purpose category, down to 29% for finances and only 25% for health. So based on that, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to retire not knowing what they're going to do to achieve purpose in their life. But since about a third of them aren't very prepared financially, well, they can achieve purpose by having to have a part-time or full-time job. And with only about 25% being well-prepared health-wise, the future is going to be full of a lot of old, fat people. So what's your family situation going to be like when you're retired? Are you going to move closer to your kids? Uh, or are you going to join activity groups and chat rooms with child-free people to talk about child-free lifestyle? Um, what about health? I've said it before, don't retire fat. If you didn't get in shape during COVID when most of us had, uh, you know, a lot of more free time than normal, it's not likely that you're going to get in shape when you retire. So anyway, there's a lot of food for thought. And uh, oh, there's also this note among the retired people, the healthy, successful retirees surveyed shared five habits. They actively maintain their health. OK, back to health. They are more socially engaged they have a clearer sense of purpose. They're more involved with their financial strategy and management, and they're willing to course correct again and again to achieve their retirement dreams, meaning they're flexible. So there you have it. Interesting stuff. Okay, last but not least, uh, I've been thinking a lot about my brain health lately and your brain health. And speaking of which, uh, last year I interviewed Dr. Crystal Culler, who's the director of uh, Brain Health Center and uh, an expert on this stuff. And I keep forgetting to put up that interview. Uh, anyway, I got to get that done. But I think we've all heard that learning new skills or learning a foreign language can improve your neuroplasticity uh, and can have long-term benefits towards your brain health in your old age and maybe even prevent or push out Alzheimer's or other diseases. But there's another thing that you can do for your brain, and that is sleep. So get this. The Helsinki Health Study at the University of 
Helsinki of all places, uh, did an investigation on the development of insomnia symptoms in midlife and their effects on memory, learning ability, and concentration after retirement. The follow-up period was 15 to 7 years, okay? So I read about this, and I don't know anything else about the study. I don't know how many people were in it and whatnot. But if they did do a follow-up 15 to 17 years later, I'd say it must have some level of academic merit. Uh, according to the study, long-term insomnia symptoms and later poorer cognitive functioning have a clear connection. Quote, the findings indicate that severe insomnia symptoms were associated with worse cognitive function among those who were on a statutory pension, basically retired people, says doctoral researcher Antti Etholin, describing the results of the study. The study also found that the memory problems, the problems in learning ability and concentration increased as the insomnia symptoms were prolonged. Oh, by the way, I found this uh, in the Eurasia Review, whatever the hell that is, and link is in the show notes. Uh, it goes on. Prior research has shown that there are a number of mechanisms that can explain how sleep can affect cognitive functioning. What makes the recently published study exceptional is the long follow-up period for insomnia symptoms. Among other things, the study demonstrated that if insomnia symptoms eased over the years... Cognitive functioning was also found to be better at retirement age compared to the problem persisting. Based on our findings, early intervention tackling insomnia problems or measures aimed at improving the quality of sleep would be justified, says Professor Thea LaLuca. Okay, so I know a lot of people who complain about sleep issues, and well, this is alarming, um, maybe not surprising, but long story short, you got to deal with your sleep issues. Uh, your future self, your future cognitive functioning may depend on it. On that note, for uh, me personally, I slept until 10.30 this morning, and it was magical, and if getting more sleep, more hours than average is going to prevent cognitive decline, I got to feel pretty good about my future because I sleep a lot. Anyway, uh, that's it for today. Have a great week and I will be back at you in a couple days. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.